Hello and welcome to another episode of the Short Story Book Club podcast. This is episode four. Uh, I'm your host, Emily Paul, and I'm going to be recording live this evening at the Centre for Stories in Northbridge. Um, And the Centre for Stories has very kindly put on this book club for us this evening. Today we're going to be talking about The Boat by Nam Lee. The Boat was published by Penguin and it was published in 2008. It was the winner of the 2009 Prime Minister's Literary Award for Fiction as well as the winner of the Best Writing Award at the Melbourne Prize for Literature in 2009. It was a Book of the Year at the New South Wales Premier's Literary Awards in 2009 and it was the winner of the 2009 Queensland Premier's Literary Awards. So needless to say, it is a very prestigious collection indeed. I thought I would just take a quick opportunity to tell you a little bit about myself because I haven't done that before on this podcast. So as I said, my name is Emily Paul and I'm a writer of short fiction and of historical fiction. My short stories have appeared in a number of places, including in Westerly and in two of the Margaret River Press anthologies, uh, those being Shibboleth and Other Stories, edited by Laurie Steed, and Joyner Bay and Other Stories, edited by Ellen Van Nierven. Um, it, they've also appeared in a collection that was published by For Book's Sake in the UK, and that collection was called Resistors. When I'm not writing short stories, I'm working on a novel that's set in Fremantle between 1937 and 1945. Um, I'm an avid reader, I'm a bookseller, I'm a blogger, and when I was asked to take over the short story book club, I was absolutely thrilled because I think short stories really don't get enough attention in um, contemporary reviewing and book club circles, so I was excited to give them a bit of attention. Joining me today, I have Yvette Diaz. Um, Welcome, Yvette. Thank you for coming along. Thank you for having me. Um, Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you like to write? Yes, um, so I've been coming to Write Night for the last couple of months and just doing a little bit of my own fiction because I enjoy um, doing writing fiction. Uh, And also, I've always been interested in short stories, which is why I'm coming to this um, book club. Mm -hmm. And um, so really just at the beginning stages of just enjoying writing a few things down but definitely not at a level of publishing or anything yet but yeah just always been interested in this area. Great Um, and did you manage to finish reading The Boat? Yes. Great. Unlike the last book at the short story book club I actually managed to read this. Uh, I found it very it was actually very kind of easy to read but Mm. I just still had to put in quite a bit of time. Yeah. But it was very um, enjoyable. Yeah. When you read a short story collection, do you read the stories in the order that they appear in the book and from start to finish, or do you tend to pick it up and read a short story at your leisure whenever you feel yeah, the mood takes um, you? Well, yeah, I, I read it in order. Mm-hmm. Um, that just says a little bit about my person. <laughs> I did the same. So. Um, but yeah, you definitely didn't. Need, I would never even think of reading it in a different order. Mm. But um, when I went back to look at the different stories, I realised I definitely preferred some stories over the others. Mm-hmm. But I, I read them in order. Yeah, um, they're quite long stories. Did you mm. did you notice that as you were reading? Uh, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to read, even though they're short stories. I did read them in bits. Mm. So. Yeah, me yeah. too. So like you'd get to time to go to sleep and you're only halfway through pretty much yeah yeah so they're quite involved but Mm. um yeah still kind of easy to pick up and finish off yeah because there's only um six 
stories in the entire collection. Yeah. Um, and I've omitted the word short from there because they're yeah. kind of long short stories. I don't know if there's mm. a, a term for that because not quite a novella and not quite a short story as we've come to understand it in the context of what we've read so far in this book club. Um, for a lot of Australian short stories, sort of 3,000, 4,000 words is standard and I guess that comes from the word limit for competitions and, and magazines and stuff like that. But when you have your own book, I suppose the rules are a little bit less rigid. Okay. Yeah. So you can um, go over the word limit and still call it a short story? Yeah, I guess okay. so. I might have to look up whether or not there's okay. any hard and fast rules about that. But I guess if I just your publisher's that. okay with it, you know. Um, and it, it does... It doesn't say anywhere on the packaging of this book that it's short stories. It's just packaged almost as if it's a novel. You could almost be surprised picking it up. Um, yeah. Because it was the the book of the year um, at the New South Wales Premier's Literary Awards and the fiction winner for the Prime Minister's Literary Awards, both of those in 2009. Yeah. Both of those labels don't indicate that it's anything other than a novel. So um, True. it's actually pretty impressive for a book of short stories to beat out novels in competitions like those ones where novels generally oh, okay. tend to take out the prizes. Yeah, um, uh, yeah I didn't even realise that, yeah, obviously it would have been competing against novels as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there probably are some awards where short stories aren't eligible. I'm thinking maybe the Man Booker Prize, they're not eligible. Okay. Um, don't quote me yeah. on that. I'm not 100% yeah. sure. Um <laughs> But it would be very unusual, certainly, for um, short stories to win awards like that. Like a few years ago when the Vogel Award was announced and it was um, Murray Middleton's... Oh, the title is just absolutely escaping me, but um, it was a book of short stories and that was very unusual okay. for that manuscript to be selected over novel manuscripts. Cool. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't know the Vogel Award. I know the Man Booker one because yeah. I've read a few in that that have won the Man Booker yeah. Prize, but yeah, is the Vogel pretty big as the well? The Vogel is an uh, award run by Alan Anunwin and The Australian, uh, and it's for okay. an unpublished so, writer under 35, so you put okay. in your um, yeah. manuscript, and that's the award that gave us Tim Winton. Really? Yeah, he won. Okay, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, also went on to write short stories, so mm. um, I think okay. it's a pretty uh, attractive award for a lot of young writers. Yeah, definitely. So... With the length of these pieces and the fact that there were only six, did that work for you or did you find it a bit tiring to read them or were you happy with the length? How did you um, feel about that? I think I have that thing with short stories that I hear a lot of people complaining about short stories about, which is like you kind of get into the story and then it ends. So yeah. in this way, like for this novel, I found that um, it was good that they were a bit longer than normal. Okay. Um, but still, I kind of there's a few stories I would have liked to kind of get into even more, and they kind of ended like. Any in particular spring to mind? Um, like, like meeting else, El Elise. Elise. Like, yeah. That story was one of my favourites, and yeah. I felt like that could have been fleshed out even more. Okay. Um. That else? subject was so big; it almost could have. Yeah. suited a novel too yeah and yeah the Turan Turan calling Turan the calling. Iran. yeah I that, always forget about that one that one um interested me a lot as well and yeah. I thought that could have been longer just because those were the two that 
stories that kind of engage me. They the left most. a lot of unanswered questions, those yeah, two. Yeah, especially, yeah, the Tarrant calling, kind of the way it ends, you sort of have no idea where there's, well, yeah. I'm not totally sure where that story's going to end. Yeah, what's going to happen to the, some of the characters. Mm. Um, I think, other than that, I think the length was okay for the yeah, other ones. I think... What did you think? Um, I mean, there is that satisfaction of having a little bit more room to play in each of the stories and having some things explained that maybe you wouldn't get in um, a shorter short story. Yeah. You get a bit more backstory, you can have a few more characters and things like that. But to me, I think the short story has more impact when you can read it in one sitting. And, okay. Um, yeah, I get that. I've been so busy lately that, that I don't think I read any of these stories in one sitting. Yeah. Um, they were too long to read, for example, in the space of a lunch break. Mm. Um, well, maybe that's just because I read slow, but... Um, <laughs> well, not many people have yeah. a good chunk of time to read anymore unless you deliver. Yeah, you... I just found it really hard to, you know, you get into the story and then you have to break that fictive dream mm. um, to stop and put your bookmark in and put the book aside and come back to it later. It was just okay. something a little bit jarring about having to do that. Yeah. Um, that being said, it probably is possible to read these stories in a sitting if you give yourself more time to do yeah. it. Yeah. It's a bit of a stretch, but yeah. you could do it. But, yeah, just it's the reflection of, like, the way yeah. people's lives are at the moment as well yeah. where you're not generally giving yourself that time. <laughs> and, I mean, reasons. that's a reflection of who I am as a reader as well. I don't okay. like putting a book down in the okay. middle of a chapter too, I have to get yeah. to the end of a chapter. Okay. So when you get to books that have chapters that are like a hundred pages or more, mm. it becomes quite difficult to okay. do that. You have to rely on those little page markers and things instead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the other thing about this collection is that it doesn't have a cohesive setting or theme that's yeah. immediately obvious the way that some of the other yeah. collections we've looked it's at really... has. Um, the settings are all over the place. Exactly, yeah. So we've got... Um, the first one is set at the Iowa Writers' Workshop. Then we go to Columbia. Mm. Then we go to, I think, for releases, New York or somewhere in America. Yeah, I think it was New York. Yeah. It, um, then we're in a small Australian town. Then we're in Hiroshima in the yeah. 1940s. Then we're <laughs> in Tehran. And then we're on a boat sailing from Vietnam. So... Um, all very different characters, very different situations. And mm. obviously that lends itself to having a really different um, style and theme evoked by each one. Yeah. Um, so maybe this is the kind of collection that it wouldn't matter so much if you were to just pick one up and then put it down for a few months and come back to it later, provided you did read every story in its entirety before yeah, you did true. that. Yeah, that's true, definitely. Yeah, because they don't necessarily build on the themes that are being... Um, evoked by the stories before them um the way mm -hmm. that say we did a collection earlier in the year called australia day by melanie chang oh, okay. um that yeah, I didn't quite often that. the themes were about immigration and about what is an australian now and about okay you know people from different backgrounds and the the effect mm -hmm. of reading that all in one sitting was to give you more of a varied picture of who australians are now yeah, um, okay. You don't get that sort of thing from this. Yeah, I read that as like sort of a almost a criticism of the book, but I don't yeah. know if that is a negative. I think I found it like interesting because it was so varied, but yeah. uh, sometimes you're a bit like, especially the one set in South America, yeah. Cartagena or whatever. Cartagena? Car I'm not sure. Car Cartagena or whatever. 
yeah, yeah anyway, the one that, about the child assassin. Like, that was completely. That seemed like yeah. the most um, far sort removed. Of, yeah, yeah, story. So even though it was really interesting, I found it yeah, yeah a bit disjointed. I have to say that was my least favorite. Okay. Um, I because I'd read Love and Honor and Pity and Pride and Compassion and Sacrifice before for uni. We did that oh, for okay. my creative writing unit at Deakin. Wow. Okay. Um, as an example of writing about writing and how that could work. Yeah. So that was expected. I'd read that one before, and I kind of thought the rest of the book would be right. that sort of level. And then to mm. go on to Cartagena, I have to say I found it disappointing. Um, oh, okay. It just felt like a caricature to me, these child assassins. Um, yep. And it left me wondering if the writer's only experience of this kind of situation was from watching movies. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. But maybe that's what it's really like. I mean, I have no experience of child assassins, but it just seemed more action-led than um, ideas-led. Yeah, it was, yeah, like, uh, I can definitely relate to it being yeah. a very different style. Yeah. I said it was my least favourite as well, okay. but I didn't hate it. I found it interesting. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you're being I, diplomatic. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely didn't hate it. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was just the least favourite, and I just said stuff like, oh, mm. Um, it felt like the main character didn't have, felt like he, like he couldn't see a different choice for himself in that mm. situation. So it was almost like, I don't know if that was the author deliberately trying yeah. to make the character, like show that the character kind of was just really in their yeah. experience and didn't have the knowledge or yeah. whatever to know that there was a different way or, or really that their situation meant that they had to live a criminal existence and there wasn't any other choice. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe it was just a kind of very uncomfortable story as well. Maybe that's why. I've, yeah. Like, like. I mean, the story was obviously written before 2008 when the book was published. If it was published okay. now, I would say maybe they've been watching too much Netflix, too much Narcos and things mm. like that because yeah. um, for anyone who hasn't read it, that story is about a 14-year-old boy who gets a job working for a crime boss and is given a really difficult task and has to return to his friends knowing what he's been asked to do and knowing that he hasn't done as he was told and is probably going to be punished for it. Um, and I won't tell you what he's been asked to do because that's the whole point of reading the story is finding out. Mm -hmm. um, it's a grimy underworld sort of situation where 14-year-old kids have access to really sophisticated weapons and bombs and things. Um, it just didn't feel as real to me as, for example, Half-Lead Bay did. Half-Lead Bay, mm -hmm. to me felt like a place that you could just get in your car and drive there and the setting of Cartagena just didn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I could definitely relate to that. Yeah, it was a lot less relatable. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm not, yeah, I mean, I feel like you're saying it's because of the writing style and that as well. I don't, um, yeah, which possibly it is. Yeah. But, um, I think also, yeah, it, it's kind of showing an extreme situation mm. and may or may not be realistic for certain people. Yeah. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. let's let's move on. Did you yeah. have a favorite story in the collection? Yes, I did. Um well, it was kind of the two that I mentioned, the mm. finding Elise, mm -hmm. meeting Elise, sorry, and Tehran calling. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. And I said yeah, I I mean I found the meeting Elise story interesting cuz I guess I found the character interesting. That yeah. He's sort of a wealthy artist. And he's he's kind of arrogant, but... He's an interesting guy. He's got yeah. an interesting point of view. 
Yeah. But he's sympathetic because all he wants to do is meet his daughter for pretty much the first time. Yeah, so you can sort of somewhat relate to him and it's sort of a totally different lifestyle than my own lifestyle. Yeah. So I found that, yeah, I found the story kind of intriguing. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And he gets some quite bad news medically at the beginning of the yeah. story as well. Do you think that makes you feel sorry for him a bit more than you would besides? Yeah, definitely. Because he's the kind of an acerbic person otherwise. Yeah, otherwise, yeah, you definitely would find him a little bit, well, I would find him more. Yeah. Um someone you wouldn't really want around in your real life yeah exactly <laughs> so there's that and then there's his relationship with his you know deceased wife or partner, partner as well yeah. so that yeah there's two kind of very sad things going on for yeah you, which does it, definitely make you more the story simple. sort of ends at this point where you think um he his point of view is obviously about to change drastically he's lost somebody that he loves he's got a really bad diagnosis for his own health um, and he, it's now, it's at that time that he wants to make a connection with this grown-up daughter and, you know, will she or won't she be part of this next phase of his life, which is going to be really hard for him. And I quite yeah. like the way that in a short story you can sort of end at that point and the reader has to think for themselves, you know, is he going to end up a sad, alone, you know, yeah, rich okay. man but with nobody around him yeah, to suffer right. on his own or is maybe she going to change her mind? I quite like that you have that power to decide what happens next. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is good. Um, yeah, it's sort of left a little bit open. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd like to think and that he'd sort of he'd the, other, the other reason that I felt sorry yeah. for him is the way that the daughter kind of treated him, like, based on possibly the, the fact that he wasn't really involved in her life. Yeah. But um, you sort of feel like kind of you're kind of wanting yeah. the relationship to heal or improve a little bit and it sort of... Well... The concept he kind of, of stuffs it up a little bit, which is kind of I think that yeah. I think that was well done as well. How you can see how he's kind of a very imperfect character. But yeah, a lot of the fathers in this mm. collection are quite imperfect. There's, yeah. there's a few yeah. stories that muse on the idea of fatherhood. So there's that mm. one. There's the father yeah. character in Love and Honor and Pity and Pride and okay, Compassion yeah, and Sacrifice who comes to visit the narrator while he's trying to finish his final assignment mm. and. Um, you know, kind of shakes up his life and makes it hard for him to get his assignment done. Yeah. Um, there's also the father in Half Lead Bay. Yeah. Who, when his son of. is being beaten up by a bully, steps in and takes a punch himself. Um, and I can't mm. think if, if there are any other fathers in any of the others, but, you know, there's well, three there's stories in there that have them. references to the father, like, um, yeah. like in Hiroshima and um, right, in the yeah. boat where it's a... But that's more of an absence of a father. Okay. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. But yeah, as opposed to sort of an imperfect yeah. father figure. So that sort of mm. almost makes me wonder if um, that reflects something in Namley's own life, whether it be his relationship with his dad or maybe his relationship yeah. with his kids or okay. something like that. Yeah. Um, but that's a, a connection that I hadn't made until just then. Okay. Yeah, I was sort of thinking not not specifically about that, but I was wondering, especially in the first story, mm. how much of it is kind of semi is, is it autobiographical it feels like when it, I read it? his bio I was like oh okay there's obvious um correlations yeah. between the story and his real life because it said at the Iowa Writers Workshop and he was there for quite a long time yeah and the fact and, that he used to be a lawyer and yeah and now he's and a it's the character the character's name is Nam yeah so, so and I mean yeah. his father was Vietnamese all this yeah. sort of thing so I was like well obviously there's elements of truth in his own life mm. but then you sort of he doesn't kind of make it clear 
Well, yeah. He, he says it's fiction, so yeah. Well, wonder which part is. It's fiction probably and which part is real. one of those stories that sort of blurs the line. You know, you borrow yeah. heavily from your own life, but at which point do you depart from the facts? Yeah. Um, I quite liked that there was a line in there where his friend, who's never given a name, I don't think, says, um, I know I'm a bad person for saying this, but that's why I don't mind your work, Nam, because you could just write about Vietnamese boat people all the time, like in your third story. You could totally exploit the Vietnamese thing, but instead you choose to write about lesbian vampires and Colombian assassins and Hiroshima orphans and New York painters with hemorrhoids. So, aside from the lesbian vampires... Those stories that he mentions are all stories that appear in this collection. That's cool. I didn't even realize. Yeah. I, I remember him saying about the oh, yeah. you can, the 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 migrant aspect of it. Like you can yeah, make, it's in right now. You can make a yeah, lot of money if you I exploit that the migrant I was experience. Like, oh, that's um, a touchy subject, but yeah, you can kind of yeah. understand about that. That's, and then what is it? I'm yeah. sick of ethnic lit. It's full of descriptions yeah. <laughs> of exotic food. You can't tell if the language is spare because the author intended that way or because he didn't have the vocab. Mm. And that's, you know, it's almost one of those things that you can't really say that. Yeah. But there have been times where different fads in publishing have okay. sort of exposed that maybe people aren't appreciating this literature from different countries because it's good literature, but because, oh, look how trendy we are. We are. Mm. We're publishing different voices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I so, mean. So, yeah, there's obviously an element of truth about, yeah. about that story, but then. Oh, he writes it as a fiction piece, though. Yeah, and he uses that as an opportunity to talk about the process of writing itself mm. as well, which okay. seems to be a lot of sitting around and thinking about you, how you should be writing and drinking a lot and not necessarily yeah. writing until the last minute before your deadline. Yeah. Okay. Did you take anything away from that story about the process of writing or relate um... to any of it? Not totally, except mm. that he, I mean, it kind of shows that he was a lawyer and then he mm. went to writing, so he sort of had this, and how that process yeah. is kind of, you know, he's really disappointed his family or whatever by doing that. And yeah. It was more about, like, I guess... Less disappointing his, than when he was doing drugs, though, according to the story. Yeah, okay. So it was kind of, I kind of got about the element of being a writer and maybe not being accepted by a family yeah. or having that struggle between, you know, a okay. respected career and... Or, so and more then, about the hardships of the choice that yeah. he's made and the ramifications but of yeah, choosing now to that you've mentioned it, I can see that it does show the process of, yeah. of, of his style of writing anyway, how, like you said, writing at the last minute and trying yeah. to get a story out of, you know... Yeah, and I think also, situation. I mean, the story that he chooses to write is a story that he borrows from his father's life mm. and... He doesn't get to keep that story. Something happens to that story that means he can't hand it in. Yeah, that so, part of the end. I, I mean, is that out. highly symbolic? Is that saying that like you can't tell other people's stories because okay. it just doesn't work? What do you think? Um, I, I won't give away the last scene, but yeah. I did think that was very symbolic. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it does. I didn't kind of interpret it totally like what you said, but yeah. it makes sense what you're saying. Um, yeah. He wanted I, I to honour his father by writing it. Yeah, he kind of had an expectation of how his father would react yeah, to the story. And, and obviously that didn't, didn't come off that yeah. way. Um, but it might be an, another, like a reference to actual storytelling, how so, like there was a lot of conflict between maybe that st- maybe the father wasn't comfortable with his story being yeah. told and yeah, that brought up more pain for him or whatever. So yeah, yeah maybe there is an element of that. Yeah. That, 
Yeah. You can't just take someone else's story no, without, their, story. without their permission, especially, or without their yeah. sort of wanting it, wanting their story to be yeah. shared. I mean, the title of that piece, Love and Honour and Pity and Pride and Compassion and Sacrifice, such a huge title. Yeah, it is a very um, So you would have to have a very deliberate reason for using that. And I feel like perhaps the reason that it's called that is because... Um, when you set out to write short stories, you feel like you have to write about these big concepts and those are the big concepts that if you boil it down to, that's what all short stories are about. Um, Which is, you know, it's a little bit bullshit. (laughs) Um, Mm. Short stories don't have to be about those big ticket items. But when you do set out to write, every story is about love, death, a broken relationship, you know, and you want it to have a lot of depth, so you force that depth. Okay. Um, and I feel like maybe these concepts that he's named the story after are the big concepts that he okay. he feels like I did wonder short story writers drive at. Yeah. It's a very deliberate I title. I thought it was maybe something about Vietnamese culture or something. That knows, okay. But I wasn't sure. I just maybe there of, is a link there. I don't um, know much about Vietnamese yeah. culture. I don't know. But, hmm. Yeah. Um, so... Given that the book has earned so many prizes and accolades, did you go into reading it expecting something mind-blowing and fantastic? I, I guess, I mean, definitely my expectations were yeah. a little bit higher than normal. Yeah. Um, but that also motivated me to actually read the book. And, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I do think it's very well written, so mm. kind of deserving of awards. Yeah. From um, working in bookselling, I know that... Mm. When books win awards like the Prime Minister's Literary Award, often that can mean a boost in people actually giving it a chance as well. So yeah. it's fantastic when that happens to a really deserving book that maybe hasn't had the acclaim mm. with readers that it deserves. Yeah, I mean... Um, yeah, it yeah. means that they go in and they ask about it and they maybe buy it and take it home. So Yeah, I think, yeah, it's a bit of that. and I mean, it kind of... it's. I think it does deserve the awards, but I think when a book has been given an award, I would automatically think yeah. it's better written anyway. <laughs> when there's four little shiny gold stickers yeah, on the front Yeah, you sort of think, okay. Book. But no, I did genuinely think, for instance, I think the way it's edited and stuff as well, like it's, you it's know, clean. it's very clear. To, yeah. It's very easy to read. It's like, yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, like I said, an enjoyable read as well. It wasn't like hard to read at all. No. So. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you were pleasantly surprised then. I was happy with it, yeah. yeah. Like, I definitely felt like the subjects were, like, some stuff I hadn't even really thought about too much or different cultures that I'm not really that familiar with. So yeah. I thought it had enough depth to it to be kind of not just another story, yeah, but something new. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed some of the stories. My favourite was probably Half Lead Bay. Okay. Um, just because it has that really Australian coming of age sort of story that I'm always really drawn to. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you have a an Australian collection, I suppose Namely is sort of a citizen of the world, though, rather mm. than necessarily just being an Australian writer, because he doesn't live here anymore, I don't think. And yeah, well, I mean, I thought he was based in America, but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, like Vietnam, He's... Melbourne, Iowa, yeah. somewhere in America, you know... I guess it would be more of an international collection than an Australian collection yeah, I mean, if I you're going to describe it that way. Australian yeah, so that was the only such, one that was Australian. For, you could say like the boat is part of Australian history as well. Yeah. But, um, it's a kind of a Vietnamese Australian story. Yeah, well, we probably need to talk about the boat before we finish so, this yeah. podcast. Okay. Um, just because 
them and the whole collection's named after it and it's yeah. very topical. Um, but before we move on to that, just stick with Half Lead Bay for a second. Yeah, okay. So it's the longest piece in there, apparently, yeah. and um, I found a review from the Sydney Morning Herald recently that identified it as being the weakest piece, which okay. I didn't agree with at all. Yeah. Um, and maybe that is because in its tone and its style it is really different again the same as we yeah. felt with Cartagena yeah um it's about a young boy who is growing up on a coastal town he's got a younger brother and his mum and dad um, all live in this house where his dad has worked as a fisherman for a long time and their mum has MS so she's gradually getting sicker and sicker and they have to travel into the bigger town nearby to get medical help um, and around about the time when they start talking about maybe selling their house and moving away, um, a girl who is pretty popular and is going out with one of the boneheads from the school suddenly starts paying the main character some more attention and he, yeah, I guess, is experiencing a sort of sexual awakening um, uh, under that attention, so he doesn't want to move away. But there's all sort of really conflicting emotions in this kid's point of view in terms of you know he's got a lot of family loyalty going on he wants to look after his mum he wants her to get better um mm. he's got a pretty conflicting um relationship with his dad the story starts off with him getting his name called out at assembly because he's done really well in a recent sporting match and his dad doesn't even seem to blink an eyelid about that even though the only reason our main character cares about it is because he thinks his dad will care um, there's so many elements of it that I think are just like quintessential elements of a classic Australian short story. I'm thinking like Tim Winton's The Turning sort of, that oh, okay. sort of short story. Yeah, I haven't read that one, but yeah, similar. Yeah. Okay. Just. And then the, the, even his relationship with his brother, I thought yeah. was interesting how he's the kind of falling a little bit. Even, yeah. Yeah. So that was a fantastic one. Um, and I didn't notice the length of it. I Okay. whipped through that one quite quickly because I was enjoying it so much. Okay. So it was interesting to me that that um, review picked it out as being the weak link. Yep. Yeah. And um, I, I found it fairly long, but I yeah. found it definitely interesting and, yeah, probably the most kind of Australian story, as I've said. Yeah. Um, and probably has a lot of, like, it seems somewhat realistic as well, maybe more than so than some of the other stories, like something that a lot of people would actually experience as opposed to yeah. a lot of the other stories that it's very relatable. a few people might experience. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to have that sort of in the middle. It's in between um, Hiroshima, which is about the dropping of the bombs on Hiroshima, and... Um, Oh, it is long. Wow, I'm trying to flick through here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and meeting Elise. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I've bookmarked it a bit here, but I don't really know why I've done that. I'm, there must be a sentence on that page that I really liked. Okay. Um, okay, so let's talk about the boat. Yeah. So, the boat is essentially an asylum seeker story. Yeah. Um, about, is it a young woman, the point of view? Yeah, she's so coming it's an across 18, on a boat. Eighteen-year-old. Yeah, um, without her family, she's been sent without mm. her family, and there's some actually really touching passages about her leaving her father behind. Yeah, and the yeah. understanding that she won't ever see him again. Mm. Um, and while she's on the boat, she makes friends with a young woman and her little boy, um, and sort of 
makes it her purpose to stick with them and help look after the little boy. Yeah, and that's how she gets through it. She does. Um, It's quite a harrowing story. There's a lot Mm of people suffering portrayed in there, and it doesn't shy back from um, talking about people being sick and people living in cramped living conditions and not having great hygiene and things like that um, because of their situation. So I think in that respect, it's probably a really important story because I think um, not everybody in Australia understands what people go through trying to come to this country as asylum seekers. Like, if they didn't have to do it, they probably really, really wouldn't. Yeah, Um, Yeah, it definitely brings to light sort of what it might be like for someone. Um, Yeah, and And that desperation that this um, is better than the alternative. Yeah, I mean, in the story it was made clear that she, like, her family was doing the best by her by asking asking her to take the boat and leave Vietnam. Yeah. um, and there's that sacrifice again in yeah. that she's the only one that gets to go. Yeah. And, yeah, obviously it really humanises it. And, um, yeah. yeah, you kind of you think, wow, this is pretty extreme what people have to go through. Even though it is yeah. a fictional piece, there's probably an element of truth in it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's quite sad but also a little bit, um, well, I mean, in a way it's a hopeful story because it shows, like, what I thought it shows how how much people want to survive, that they'll do whatever it takes yep. to kind of improve their living situation. And there were moments in there where things were really, really bad and nobody had enough water to drink, but people were still giving up the tiny yeah, bits I of water that was to save other people. Yeah, whereas a lot of the stories like this, you sort of it shows like the worst of human Yeah, nature, it shows the like best people, in this. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting from that perspective as yeah. well. Um, and there's something quite ethereal as well about the the little boy character is it true oh yeah um he has a beautiful singing voice and and almost watches yeah. over Mai as they come across from vietnam uh, he's kind of like her i don't know maybe a guardian angel or something um yeah. she certainly feels very attached to him very fast but the way that she views him kind of has this ethereal quality yeah um and then she links her father to him, yeah. like that's she says, oh, there's a link between the way, like she reckons part of the reason she's so attached to him, mm. the boy, is because his face reminds her of his fa- her father's face, which yeah. was after going to the re-education camp or whatever. Yeah, this sort of deadpan face. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of another sad side story there's, there's so much packed in yeah, to these stories is. you know kind just of, little sentences that give yeah. away so much about a character yeah and um, sort of explain a little bit about yeah. what was going in vietnam to cause someone to have to feel like they have to leave yeah and i think um you know in the hands of a less skilled storyteller putting in so many different elements might make the stories feel really unfocused, but um, he's got a really clear grasp of what he's doing with the materials, um, and that Mm. makes it it work. Yeah, Yeah. that's true, yeah. Because even um, I watched that little cartoon version that someone else had done. Yeah, so the graphic designer had decided to adapt it into a um, a short movie. Yeah, like a cartoon... Yeah. it's like a book in cartoon form, so you still have to read it. Oh, the graphic he, novel, he'd, okay. He'd, graphic novel, sorry, yeah. And he'd actually cut out some of the wording to obviously fit into this 20-minute cartoon, yeah. and it was still really good, but I was like, oh, you're missing some of the... Yeah. I showed my partner, and I was like, oh, you're missing some of the key points of the story because not all the wording is in there, and you really need the yeah. wording to... Yeah, um, but hopefully the effect of that... I mean, obviously yeah. he doesn't 
tell stories the same way that Namely tells stories. Mm, so he th- thinks, here's this really important story. I'm going to yeah. reinterpret it and put it out there for my um, fans to look at. And then, yeah. you know, hopefully that'll then get people to maybe look up the original mm. story and no, people sure. read it. It's still it. really well done, but I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, it's interesting how you kind of, yeah, anyway. Yeah. I, if I hadn't read, I felt like, oh, there's elements of the story that were mm. told through the words that you, I mean, seeing it visually is great yeah. as well, but you kind of miss some of the key richness of the story. So they work better side by side Definitely. than in isolation. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so if you are looking up the graphic novel version, and I will try and find the original link to put in the show notes for this podcast, if anyone's interested in checking out that interview, because I don't even remember the artist's name, which is really bad. <laughs> I should have really written it down. Um, yeah, I'll put those in the show notes for people. Um, yeah, I mean, just as an interesting point to end on, it's interesting that um, this was the 2009 Prime Minister's Literary Awards winner, and it is about Asylum Seekers, that final story. So um, given mm. the current government's stance on Asylum Seekers, I just find that interesting. I'm not going to make any comment on that either way, but yeah, just leave that there for people to think about. Yeah. Um, the past is a different country, even the very recent past. No, definitely. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we might end it there unless you had any other points you wanted to bring up, Yvette. Uh, no, but no? I recommend the book. Definitely. Great. <laughs> um, thank you very much for joining me. Um, and we will be back uh, at the end of November talking about The Circle and the Equator by Kyra Georgie.